0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Choosers of the Slain. This is Lucas. And this is Nate. We have a lot to talk about this week. We had uh, some daily updates coming in from the Warhammer Twitch stream and the uh, community website, uh, warhammercommunity.com. Just a a bunch of really interesting information. Um, Them just kind of breaking down some of the the finer details on the bullet points that they mentioned in the initial reveal and the Q&A that followed. Uh, we kind of wanted to talk today about some of the stuff we learned and our thoughts on those things. Um, you know first, I wanted to kind of kick it off just saying there 's a lot of really cool information about that crusade uh, oh, yeah, system that they 're adding to narrative, but there 's so much that that 's going to be coming in the codexes and things like that that uh, i don 't know that there 's a whole lot of reason to discuss it yet until we get more information specifically about how it plays other than that it just sounds like an awesome way to do escalation leagues or mm-hmm. um like slow grow kind of things or campaigns at home um so i think that that's awesome and if we don't seem to talk a lot about it it's not because we don't think it's cool it's just that seems so deep that without without more specifics i don't know that uh, there's a lot
1: to say yeah would you agree yeah i think so i mean i know i'll i'll definitely be starting up a crusade army at some point um just from what i've seen but until we know more about how it's going to work and everything like that i just there's not much we can speculate on so the most we can say is yeah seems cool can't wait to see more yeah absolutely um and i just i keep having like little fever dreams about a growing
0: dreadnought collection of every time every time a cool character dies in my crusade army making a, a dreadnought for him
1: heck yeah um
0: so uh, that said, if we move on to kind of the more match play stuff, cause mm-hmm. I know uh, a lot of you out there like hearing us talk about tactics and things like that. Um, just kind of the, the brief headers of the things that they talked about and that we're going to discuss here. They went into command points a bit and how, um, detachments are going to work and how that, you know, impacts command points. Um, there was also a handful of missions that were, were leaked and, um, that was really cool information. Yeah. Um, also with that was table sizes, how some things are set up um, with measurements, things like that, and then uh, a new addition to the battle round phases. So um, kind of to, to start there, let's let's go to that battle round phase piece, because that's kind of like a core mechanic, mm-hmm. um, how it, how it uh, impacts just the general gameplay. So what it appears is that we're seeing something kind of similar to uh, maybe Age of Sigmar, where you know, the, the battle round is now going to go command phase, movement phase, psychic phase, shooting phase, charge, fight, morale. And that command phase is that new piece. Um, so what were your takeaways from some of the, the cool stuff that, that came about talking about this new command phase?
1: So I, I I thought that when they added the hero phase to Age of Sigmar and changed how hero abilities and everything worked... I thought it was a great change to the game. I thought it it made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it just added a really kind of unique flair to how your generals leading the battle. Uh, so I'm I'm excited to see how this plays out in 40k, um, especially Absolutely. with the kind of the revelations that happened later in the week that different missions are going to interact with the command phase differently um, mm-hmm. whether it's regenerating CP or certain things are going to happen in the command phase. Or I, I think one of the missions we saw was at the end of your command phase, you declare that you're taking this action. And then at the end of your next command phase, that's when it completes. Um, it just, I feel like it really adds, uh, really adds a, an element of kind of strategic thinking and strategic play that wasn't necessarily there before. Um, or that, you know, th- there weren't quite as many levers to pull, and so they added mm-hmm. another lever and went, okay, so now, you know, now it's it's another another thing that you can do, um, and there's another phase that gives you a little more flexibility and gives you a little more room to to be tactical.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I think that it adds you know just some depth to the game. Mm-hmm. Not only does it create room for more mechanics that make the game more more interesting, but also for unlike the competitive side of it, um, unless there is a prohibition in the command phase against doing things, mm-hmm. it also adds an extra phase for um, just the the tactical, I don't want to say shenanigans, but like if you have certain um, stratagems that create like a permanent effect in game, mm-hmm. it adds another phase to the game with which you can use a stratagem because stratagems typically are limited to once per phase. Right. So it just kind of gives you a little bit more um room more headspace to to interact with the game in a way that that um allows you to kind of flex your tactics a little bit Yep. um the the action piece that you talked about is my favorite part of yes of this um it adds not only kind of like an immersion slash uh story element to the tactical side of the gameplay and meaningful choices are awesome and having to pick like okay, I invested points in this unit for it to fight, but now I could get victory points from performing this action. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that that is awesome because it just adds more breadth to, to how you have to chew on the game that you're playing. Yeah. Um, but the, the other thing that I like about it is that it adds value to units that are not necessarily as efficient at killing. Right. And that, you know, when the game is entirely I put a unit on the table so that it can punch the other guy in the face, then the only thing that really matters for unit efficiency is how long will it live and Mm -hmm. how many wounds per points does it put out. Right. Um, And the, you know, units that may have looked inefficient in normal, quote unquote, 40K with these actions added. Um, I'll, you know, I'll speak for my own army mm-hmm. crusaders are really tempting looking at these new missions because, okay, I have these little 13 point dudes that have a three plus inbound save mm-hmm. that can come in units of six and their models are not huge. So, you know, getting behind blocking line of sight terrain is not too terribly hard,
1: right?
0: I may start running a unit or two of crusaders just to run around and plant flags and pull levers and disarm bombs and whatever, whatever it is, the mission actions are because yeah. my, my, Battle Sisters can then focus on their job.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, exactly.
0: You know, and and in, in the current edition of 40k, I'm not really interested in including Crusaders because, frankly, not to not to sound like a that guy player, but they don't do enough for the points I spend when it comes to murder. Right, right. <laughs> and, I mean, we've
1: talked about that before on the on the show that you know there's just the the Sisters Codex is a great example of there are three units that all compete for basically the same function and only one of them really is as good as it needs to be absolutely
0: you know or like uh say you know death cult assassins as another sister's example like they have a higher movement rate like you know what if if the mission is run to this objective and then sit on it while you're doing something a faster moving five plus involved save unit may have value again right um and so the uh I I'm just really excited about that because yeah. it, it, it makes units have value aside from their ability to put out damage. Yep. Um, and that, that's super intriguing to me. Um, also the, uh, fact that missions are going to become more than just, there is a, a dot on the map that if you stand close to it, it turns into points. Mm-hmm. Um, because no matter what the stories and things are for the various missions, um, what it basically boils down to is there are dots on the map and if you stand close enough to them, you get victory points. And then aside from that, shoot guys. Right. And it, you know, there's, there's variations on that theme but having these actions actually kind of makes it feel like, Oh, it, the mission's not just called the four pillars. Right. I'm actually going to these four pillars and channeling energy from an ancient device. Cause I mm-hmm. have to, you know, do something. And it adds that kind of almost real time strategy feeling like, you know, back in dawn of war, Warcraft, Starcraft or whatever, oh, yeah, where you had yeah. to send a unit to a thing on the map and right click it. And then you'd see your unit kneel down and the cooldown timer would start. Mm-hmm. It kind of, it adds that feel to the game where it's not just, I'm sliding plastic men around and trying to murder the other guy. I'm, I'm just super excited about that. Right. Um, I could probably soapbox for another half an hour and I'll stop now. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm really excited about actions and how they interact with the command phase.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested to see, uh, and I think the four pillars mission is a great example of sort of how that's getting used in, in the command phase and everything that you just, you have the potential to score a lot of points if you're, if you're using your actions wisely and you, you really build, you really build your list to be more about objectives than necessarily about killing But I think that's kind of my, my takeaway in a lot of ways is it almost seems like now your list doesn't just have to be built based around what's going to kill stuff the best. Like there's, yeah. there's this element of not only, okay, so what, what's going to let me kill stuff, but you get to balance that against what's going to get the job done. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, four pillars is a great example where, sure there there are the secondary objectives that we can we can dive into and there's a specific one for the four pillars mission that's literally you can have four units not do anything for a turn and just siphon power from the objectives and it scores you 10 victory points which is as much as controlling two or more objective markers for a turn yeah i mean that's just that is a a very different kind of play than control to objective markers and also kill your opponent but you're not getting victory points for killing your opponent like you you it almost seems like a defensive play becomes more viable at that point yeah um, definitely b- which well, it been... also deepens and i'm sorry to, sorry no, to no, cut you off good. there but you're good.
0: it also deepens board control because yes. board control is not just about having high movement and being able to survive um you know, one round of shooting or being able to survive one counter charge or whatever. It's not just, let me throw five dudes in a, in a venom and fly them 20 inches across the table. And ha I got two victory points now board control is movement and endurance and also efficiency, because if you, if to get the movement and the endurance, you spend a lot of points on that unit Mm -hmm. and then it doesn't attack all the points you spent on its weapons and its strength weren't very efficiently spent. So now you have to look at your codex and go, what's tough and fast, but I'm not paying a premium for damage. Right. You know, there's just more, you know, like we've said a uh, uh, hundred times in our various episodes, uh, meaningful choices yeah. make the game better. Yeah. And I'm excited about this.
1: Yeah. I mean, looking at it, you you mentioned, you know, your, your death cult assassins and your, uh, your crusaders and everything from, from the Eldar side of things i'm i'm seeing my uh, my windrider jet bikes with just the twin shuriken catapults potentially seeing mm-hmm. the board again if if their points value stays pretty low because you don't pay much for the catapults and they're really fast and at least sticky enough to be able to be annoying if you're trying to pull them off an objective when they're performing an action you know or things like swooping hawks or the new um Oh, what do they call them? The Sky Skystalkers or whatever the -hmm. the ADMAC unit is. Um, Things that can do damage in your movement phase. Yep. When when your action happens at the end of the movement phase, that all of a sudden becomes a lot more valuable because, sure, you're giving up their shooting, but they still did their thing that they pay for in the movement phase and got to do the action and with those two units in particular they're not slow they have pretty solid movement speeds so it's you know there's there's a lot of depth there that i'm really looking forward to seeing play out
0: well i'm you know speaking of eldar i'm wondering if this is going to put warp spiders back on the map oh i hope so i love warp Um, spiders
1: so much and they just have not done their job yeah
0: well and you know since basically since the warp spider spam crisis of seventh edition yeah um you know, with the the ITC terrain exploit that they could do, um, the they uh, they pretty much have been functionally, unfortunately, garbage. Yeah. And uh, but now, if I recall correctly, it's been a while since I've had an elder army of my own. But I, they wear heavy aspect armor, right? They do. Yep. So they have the three plus save. Yep. So you have this quote unquote fly, even though they're teleporters, but you have this like fly unit. With a three-up armor save, mm-hmm. it's able to teleport onto an objective and mm-hmm. start planting a flag, and then weather incoming shots way better than other, you know, just stuff like that. Yeah, You know, a, a unit like them, or um, if we were to look at um, like Harlequins, for instance, oh, yeah, you know, just the, the maneuverability and involunt saves that our Harlequins have, seeing them do more than just charge straight at the enemy like a really brightly colored orc army mm-hmm. will, be, will be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, because they have things to do. I'm, yeah. I'm just, I don't know. I'm so excited about this. Yeah. Um, and that, in you know, we've talked a bit about missions and things like that. So I think that's a good segue into discussing, um, like the missions and table size. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you know, they they gave an example. We talked about four pillars a little bit, um, but they also gave an example of one of the combat patrol missions, mm-hmm. which is is uh sized for the smaller games. You know, the 500 point you know, level game. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, we've both, we both made a lot of little, little observations about, about the layout things um, mm-hmm. in the missions. And you mentioned one of them in our, in our talk right before we started recording about where things are measured from. So you want to talk, talk about that for a second.
1: Yeah. So, uh, and they, they mentioned this in one of the videos, but we, we both had kind of brought this up um, prior to the article going up. And, uh, and at one point prior to one of the videos too, that, it looks like everything now is getting measured from the center of the battlefield instead of from the edges of the battlefield. Which, um, from a design perspective, makes a lot of sense. It's a it's a lot easier, especially if you don't have the luxury of having a four by six table or you know a, whatever standard size gaming table you want to use. Um, if the missions are are designed based on the edges then you have to have that size or things get kind of weird. But if the missions mm-hmm. are designed based on the center and you're measuring everything from the center, none of the math needs to change. If you're using something that is at least the minimum size of the board that they're recommending, then all you do is you're adding a little extra room on the edges and that doesn't nearly affect the game as drastically. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm really interested to see how that plays out. And you pointed out... Uh, the the correlation between the board size and the kill team boards yeah yep that was something that uh um i i'm a member of a handful of competitive facebook groups
0: and uh one of the one of the top ad players uh rickert nielsen hoping i'm saying his last name right um like almost immediately pointed out like hey if you count the squares on the map it looks like it looks like these these table sizes are going to be like 44 by 60 instead of 48 by 72. What's up with that? And uh, um, it, it sparked a huge conversation in that Facebook group about, oh, well, you know, you're reading too much into it or, or you know, whatever. They're not going to move away from the four by six foot table thing. And I, I was like, hey, guys, um, Kill, Kill Team and Warcry are played on a 22 by 30 inch mm-hmm. board and they sell boards for those. Um, maybe maybe there's a maybe there's a thing here, and then a couple of days later they they post the game sizes are all are all evenly divisible by 22 by thirty. Yep. <laughs> I was like, huh, it's almost like they were planning this <laughs>
1: uh-huh. yeah, the uh and and that kind of it plays into something that they've said now a couple times uh on their their various preview uh their various preview streams that they've been doing that they're working really hard to improve the accessibility of the game Um, and that that not only not only pulls in in terms of uh, the the board size and being able to get get to the normal size and and the kill team size and utilize things that are a little more easily accessible than either going out and making your own foam board or buying a realm of battle board or something mm-hmm. like that but also um the the minor points increase that they're talking about you know to make the game go a little bit faster and not have quite as many models on the board at a given time um yep. you know the, just increasing that accessibility, which from a design perspective again i i think is great um, from the perspective of of a player and someone who likes to see more people play uh, that's fantastic to see too and from a business perspective it's it's a smart move i mean it's just it, we can pretty comfortably say that was one of the things that really killed Warhammer Fantasy was it got to the point where it was just so expensive and difficult yeah. to get into the game at a normal like what people considered a normal point value and yeah. and sort of to be able to scale that back with 40k because we were starting to get to that point where things were just you know you're you're seeing a standard 2000 point army even for a fairly elite army like space marines where you're fielding 50 or 60 troops or 50 or 60 infantry models. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it, it starts to get excessive. So I'm I'm glad to see that they kind of went, yeah, let's rein it in a little bit. Let's let's try to avoid 5 hour 2000 point games.
0: Yeah, that that it's definitely I think a, a good thing overall because the points being relative, it doesn't hurt anybody to do this because right. say say you enjoy those bigger longer games and maybe you only want to play one game a weekend and you want it to take 9 hours or whatever all you have to do is play more points mm-hmm. like the this solution streamlines like competitive quick like just you know square off play a game 40k and doesn't do anything to diminish if you want to play that many models out of your collection just okay. Agree with somebody to play an onslaught game, which is what I believe they're calling the three thousand point level of the game yeah, um, the other thing, and this is something that I think is absolutely brilliant on their part mm-hmm. um, there are There are some subtle imbalances in the game uh, that have just historically existed because mm-hmm. of the very nature of how the rules setup works where shooting armies. Are low risk, low reward, or mm-hmm. at times low risk, high reward, depending on you know the codex that you're playing. Yep. And assault armies are at best moderate risk, moderate reward, and sometimes high risk, high reward because mm-hmm. the assault phase you can't interact with the enemy without consequence. Right. And the shooting phase, with with the very rare exceptions of things like um, you know what the Inari could do a soul burst for a little while, or mm-hmm. maybe two or three bespoke rules in the game. Um, what your shooting phase is carried out without consequence. Right. And so inherently assault armies have some difficulties where you know to do the thing that they do well they have to risk themselves in a way that that shooting armies don't. Yeah. And the games workshop over the years has tried to balance that with getting more bang for your buck when you fight in close combat than Mm -hmm. maybe when you shoot and that's why some of the craziest things that can happen in the game happen in that like bloody visceral close combat which Mm -hmm. also has like a narrative cinematic feel to it and it it makes sense when you look at it you know kind of you know broad strokes but in the game it doesn't always feel good right when you know you bring a space wolves army or an orc army and you square off with an opponent who uh you know is, is making a wise tactical decision and I'm, I'm not throwing these people under the bus at all, but they see like, Oh, you're, you're running all Wolfen space wolves or you brought like a, a green tide orc army. Cool. Well, I won the roll off. So I'm going to pick hammer and anvil and I'm going to deploy all of my basilisks or hammerheads or wyverns or whatever, what have you right on the backboard edge. And you're going to have to walk across, you know, 90 inches of open field while I just pound you off the table mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we've, we've said before in some of these conversations that ninth edition appears to be about eliminating the feel bad moments. Yeah. And when you, when you've put all that love and energy into a, into an army that just isn't a gun line army and you show up and with a single die roll, your opponent can make a tactical choice, which is a good tactical choice mm-hmm. that cuts off one of your legs, it doesn't feel good. And the smaller, you know, even though these table mission size things are just a minimum, and you can play the game on whatever you want, the competitive community is is going to do what the book says because that's how the the mindset works. But also, even the ITC um, Reese just recently straight up said we will be using the forty-four by sixty-inch table sizes for the ITC. Like they mm-hmm. they have confirmed they will be using that thing. And they're, they're already in the process of producing mats in that size for sale. Um, And so, yes, um, I think that this is an aside. I'm kind of wandering off my point a second, but I have a feeling that games workshop quote unquote, going to war with the other formats of organized play Mm -hmm. was maybe not as hostile as it came across in their, uh, in their pitch. I have a feeling because all these playtesters know each other yeah i have a feeling that they've all known the score and it's been a a collaborative move and games workshop games workshop from a face saving public relations standpoint gets to kind of swagger a little bit and act like yeah we're swinging for the fences and we're going to take everything down and it's going to be amazing and and i think everybody's like yeah that's because we're letting you do it
1: you know right (laughs) yeah
0: um but uh but yeah the itc has already officially stated it's it's gonna toe the line okay so um so kind of back to to where i was going with that little soapbox there is that this is a way a really brilliant way for games workshop to help balance assault armies Mm -hmm. because if the table shrinks even slightly a couple inches shaved off of no man's land here or a couple inches or well in in some instances half a foot shaved off of where you can hide from my chain axe um, really it's a way to to give assault armies a better chance of crossing the table to do their job without having to blanket increase their movement rate or increase their armor saves or mm-hmm. increase their it's, a, it's a, a really really ingenious way in my mind of balancing that eternal struggle between yeah. gun lines and assault armies without mm-hmm. actually changing model stats and I was like when I saw the slightly smaller table, I was like, oh, may- maybe this is just my eyes as an orc player and a, uh, were I a battle sister, I'd probably very quickly end up being a Repentia. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, the, uh, I just, I saw it from that perspective and was just yeah. like, oh, oh, no man's land just got two inches shorter. Ooh. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. And, it, I, well, and I it, I was really happy with that. And it depends on the the board too. And this was kind of the other thing that, uh, at least in the missions we've seen, it looks like this is the case. And I'm I'm curious if it will uh, if it will stay that way. I, I can't recall offhand, but I think Age of Sigmar works this way, where each mission has a predefined deployment pattern.
0: Yes, um, I believe in. I believe it was in the Tuesday Q and A right after the announcement mm-hmm. that Stu
1: Black said bespoke deployment maps did he okay i didn't catch that so that i'm i'm looking forward to that because it it gives them a little more license to tailor each individual mission to be better balanced Mm -hmm. Um, i mean i know i know we've played games and i'm sure just about everybody has played games where it's like okay we rolled up you know, we rolled up whatever this this mission is that has two objectives, and then we added. You know, we decided the deployment map was going to be something that makes it so half the game is spent ignoring the objectives. Like it's yeah. just I'm I'm really excited to see that each uh, each mission is going to have its own deployment map, uh, so that way it's it's more more cohesive. You know, it feels yeah. like a mission; it doesn't feel like a random set of parameters that got thrown together at the beginning of the game. Um, so that I think that'll be be really cool to see, um, and I think it'll be good for balancing, you know, gunline versus assault armies too. Because if it's a if it's a mission where where there's you know uh, uh, advantage for the gunline army, they can set up the deployment map so that way you know it's it's not twenty four inches of no man's land; it's eighteen inches of no man's land. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it um I'm looking forward to it. I'm I I think of everything we've seen so far, what they've revealed about how missions will work and secondary objectives and and how actions will will interface with the missions and all that. It's probably what I'm most excited about thus far.
0: Um the uh the thing that I was very um very excited about speaking of that mm-hmm. um in the in seeing the new missions were those secondaries seeing that um kind of taking that nod from the way the itc missions work Mm -hmm. but maybe sticking to the good parts of the idea and not getting as convoluted yeah um i think is is looking great i mean we, we haven't seen all of the secondaries yet but just the the idea that they're not a bunch of pre game list chewing, kind of like you know. I, I like the idea of the ITC secondaries, yeah. but like to have to go, well, I need to select four units from my opponent's army that have a power level greater than eight, and mm-hmm. like that, there's just a, like a lot of bookkeeping to it that adds like a um almost too much meta level thinking, yeah, um, to the thing to the whole concept. And the the little teases we've gotten from the secondaries that GW has added to their missions, um, that they, they seem pretty characterful, interesting. Like they'll affect the game, but they're mm-hmm. also pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I love the idea of faction-based secondaries. So yes. instead of there being one menu, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the the ADMAC, um, which I I love, have a, a stratagem called acquisition at any cost. Mm-hmm which gives bonuses to somebody who's sitting on an objective as a stratagem. But like that, that's kind of like a philosophy that the army has. So I would Mm -hmm. like to see that move from the stratagems to a secondary, you know um, where, you know, an ad unit can spend an action on an objective to get victory points and maybe uh, you know, who knows maybe like a one use item or something or whatever the, you know, whatever the, the way they decide to play those things out. Right. just that i don't know i think it's really neat Um, and i think it's more interesting than there just being a menu of 30 of them that everybody is picking from
1: yeah and it the other thing that i really like about that and it it sounded like it was going to work not only with secondaries but also with your primary objectives is this idea that you can cap out on victory points yeah and that at some point if you're doing really well the game turns from i'm just going to keep Doing my thing and churning out, you know, churning out victory points. To okay, I've completed my objectives. Now I need to stop my opponent from completing theirs. Uh, yes, and, and so I think in terms of uh, in terms of list building and sort of meaningful choices and everything during the game, that that puts you into a place where you're saying, okay, so if if I am essentially unopposed, I could cap out on my victory points by turn three. For instance, so that gives me two turns to try and keep my opponent from scoring victory points. And can my list, if it's capping out on turn three, can it also keep my opponent from capping out in those three turns? And and your list build turns into this more of a strategic like, wh- where is that balance? Where where is the point yeah. where I'm going? Okay, I can do the things I want to do, but I also need to be able to to run interference. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to see how that plays out because I think, um, some of the secondary objectives, it's going to be really tough to interfere with. And so it's going to make, uh, going to make for some close and interesting interactions between, between lists. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah,
0: I am. Uh, I don't know. I I just think there's so many positive things I I have to say about it. And I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm. I am just drinking the Kool-Aid and that, that, oh, you know, everything is going to be great. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some challenges and some adjustments and um, there may be some folks that, that experience a little bit of frustration because the, how they, how they need to, their fundamental interaction with the game Uh may change from what they're comfortable with. And, and that's going to be an adjustment for anybody. Uh Um, But uh, you know, the, I think really, I'm I personally am willing to take them at their word that their that their intention is like we're trying to do we're trying to do essentially what the community asked for. We're yep. we're ninth edition is eighth knowing what we know now. Yep. Um and you know addressing the complaints that have come up over the last 3 years and I think that uh, um you know things like having all the points kind of almost universally increase across the board. Mm-hmm you know, yeah, it makes games faster. It makes games um, a little bit smaller and that's cool. And you can, like I said earlier, you can end round that by just increasing the size of your games if you'd like. Mm -hmm. But another thing it allows them to do is finer tune control because the more points that, the more points that are quote unquote in play, the more, more settings on the dial there are to like really, really tune into where a unit should be. So now you don't run into, you know, if you have, Two units that um, maybe one needs to increase in like in cost by four percent, and another unit needs to increase in cost by seven percent, mm-hmm. but because of the points, you know, they cost the same now, and if you add one point to each. That's maybe a 10% increase. And now one unit is wildly overcosted, and the other unit is about where it should be. There's just not enough room for them to move. Yep. And those little changes, while each individual one might be uncomfortable, like how missions are being done, or how they're adding a command phase and adding actions, where some of your units now have to do things instead of shooting or instead of fighting. Like some of those things might be uncomfortable, but overall, I, I'm just so happy with um how this is going to positively impact the game in my opinion across the board so i'll take a little bit of discomfort in several areas in exchange for um a game that's overall just healthier um and and i and that's what i'm excited about um you know you had just talked about uh how it's going to have to change how you approach things in the list build Mm -hmm. and this kind of plays into a big part um and I I say this with all the love in my heart. A big part of uh, the salt that we're seeing online, yeah. When it comes to players' discomfort with things, is how you build your army, detachments, and command points. Command
1: points. points. Oh um, gosh.
0: We're gonna we'll take a moment here so that everyone can start screaming at uh-huh. their
1: screens. Uh huh.
0: And okay, oh, so <laughs> pour one out for the loyal thirty-two. Yep. There we go. Um, all right. So what we have learned. Oh, what we have learned uh, is that um, now the the detachments are largely going to stay what we know them as. You know, there is going to be patrol, battalion, brigade, and then your specialty detachments such as spearhead or vanguard, outrider, those things. Mm-hmm. Um, they have not listed everything or, you know, we don't know that, that all detachments have survived the the change. We also don't know what new detachments might, or, might appear, mm-hmm. but something that we do know for certain is that they cost you command points. Um, So we're, we're kind of going back in the direction of older editions where there was just the combined arms detachment um, where, you know, if you have, if you build your army out of a single detachment and that detachment happens to be one of the core, Mm -hmm. which they described as patrol battalion and brigade, Mm -hmm. and you include your warlord, In that detachment you get refunded the command point cost for it and it is functionally free every other detachment costs even if it is your first one so you know you can run those Belial and a billion Deathwing Terminator armies if you'd like you're just gonna pay a command point or two for every detachment of them and uh, since command points are now a fixed finite resource Mm -hmm. across all armies based on the size of the game actually using all elite all specialist uh, no flaw having all my gaps are covered armies is actually going to cost you instead of reward you yep and there is a lot of how do I politely
1: say uh, posterior pain yeah. <laughs> about uh, not being able to milk the system so it's interesting you mentioned the the death wing with Belial and all that uh, because that that also brings up a change that maybe I'm not remembering my my battalion detachment very well, but I'm pretty sure in Eighth Edition a battalion was two to three troops, three or sorry, two to three HQ, three to six troops, and then zero to three elite fast and heavy, and
0: Correct. then you could have and like up to two flyer. flyers. Yeah.
1: So one thing that they didn't really call out. Is that in ninth edition a battalion detachment gives you zero to six elites?
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: So, your your Belial, you know, your Belial and the Deathwing, or your, you know, your uh, Grandmaster Voldus and a bunch of paladins or whatever, doesn't necessarily cost you more command points. You just still have the troop tax. Yeah. And. I, I think that's kind of an interesting an interesting look. and maybe it's a typo, but considering it looks like it's pulled directly from the the asset that would be included in the book, i'm I'm guessing that this is how it actually works and and in that case, your your battalion, as long as you meet your minimums, you can have six elites in a battalion detachment mm-hmm. um, which is is nice to see. But the other thing that they kind of talked about with that and that that we had revealed there was that dedicated transports are now just for infantry. You, you can't take three tanks and then take three tanks to transport the tanks.
0: <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know why, like a tank was a thing, I mean, man.
1: I, I'm going to put my lemon russ in a chimera because reasons.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Well, I mean, you know, the, the, uh, Exhibit helped write the detachment rules for Eighth Edition. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yo, dog. I, I heard you like repressors, so now you can repress things while you're repressing <laughs> well, things in yes, your repressor. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but uh, the uh, the thing that I'm I'm excited about though is like, say you do want to run. We'll we'll stick with the Dark Angels example. Mm-hmm. Say you do want to run that that same. Terminator list that you could do with the battalion that you just talked about, you can save the points on that troop tax and all it's going to cost you is probably two or maybe four because they haven't said the prices specifically yet, but say they just kind of reverse the benefits, you know, for sake of argument, just reverse the benefits that you got from detachments in eighth edition which based on what they did show looks kind of consistent mm-hmm. um, and based on their QA they did refer to uh, you know adding a knight to any imperial army would cost you you know one or two command points yeah so um, the if it is just a reversal and we say that uh, the vanguard detachment which is one headquarter and three elites and up you know up to two additional elites mm-hmm say that costs you a command point. If you run two vanguards, you're looking at paying probably two mm-hmm. command points for two HQs and six elites. Yeah. And so you're, it, it's not just that, oh, GW has taken away my command points to let me run the army that I want. Like, no, you, you just had to make the meaningful choice, as we said before, between do I want to pay the troop tax of having to include three troop choices Mm-hmm. Or do I want to just throw a couple command points away to buy off that troop tax? Um, And that that's a choice that you have to make as the, as the tactician of, do I need that resource? Will those troops be beneficial or because I want to play this narrative, you know, kind of story driven army that is just, this is a task force of all death wing. What am I willing to tactically give up right. to keep that, that narrative immersion? Yep. And I think that that is, that's amazing. Yeah. I think that that's yeah. a great system and I like this way more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I totally understand you know people got used to a way to do things yeah. and and so there there's definitely going to be discomfort in that. But one thing I personally kind of quipped to somebody just recently at the at the shop, when was the last time you saw a, a detachment actually filled out? You know, it, it's almost like Never. Yeah, it's almost like in Eighth Edition, a battalion is not uh, two to three headquarters, zero to three elites, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A battalion is two headquarters, three troops, yep. end of line. And you know, if somebody, unless somebody hit their three detachments for the army, right? You any any additional units you built, you just put into another. Another, you know, oh, well, I want to add three tanks. I'm just going to put those in a spearhead. I want to add three fast attacks. I'm not going to put them in one of my battalions. I'm going to put them in a... Right. You know, unless you are specifically farming um, chapter tactics for things, there was no reason not to add an additional attach- detachment because you would get more command points. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> to actually see now a reason to fill out the battalion before moving on to a second mm-hmm. um, feels and maybe this is me showing my age but that feels a lot more 40k to me cuz i spent agree. i spent decades going i have one detachment it is called combined arms mm-hmm. and it starts at you know one HQ and two troops and it goes up to two or what was up to two or three HQs and three elites and up to six troops and three mm-hmm. fast attack and three heavy support yep. and that was it yep unless you were playing an, a specific special mission that had its own, like if you were playing a raid mission, or if you were playing a, a, a what a siege mission, or because the various editions all had yeah. their their alternate mission types. And unless you were playing one of those alternate mission types, the detachment chart didn't change. Nope. A two thousand point army had to fit into the combined arms mm-hmm. detachment, um, and so it. There is a degree of like going home <laughs> that yeah. this feels like for yeah. for some of us. i I think it's great and i and i think that it will be it'll be a way for armies to still have the freedom to make you know you can make whatever army you want if you want to run an army where you don't have to bring troops because you just want to run all elites you can Mm -hmm. you just have to pay yeah um and i think that that's i think that's good for the health of the game
1: yeah so i think the other thing too and this is I can't say for sure, but just based on what I've seen in a few different communities, this is probably an unpopular opinion, but uh, I, I think in some ways this is Games Workshop's way of saying, hey, so if you have a list that requires you to spend 18 command points by the end of turn two for it to be successful, that's not the kind of list we want to encourage. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because... Every one of those lists that I've seen, it's not a, oh, this is fun and flavorful and, you know, it relies on these command points because it, it does some cool stuff and, and it lets me, you know, do do fancy things with the way I, I move units or whatever. Like, it's almost invariably, yeah, I use the same stratagem as much as possible and I, you know, I use very specific tactics and it it's not about making choices and playing back and forth it's i have a list of things i go through and if i check all my boxes as long as my dice agree with me i win yeah it's that
0: hammer blow crushing alpha strike
1: yeah you know i'm yeah it's a problem that um it's a problem that i've seen plenty of times in the the competitive magic Mm -hmm. the gathering scene too where for a while at least and i've been out of it for quite a while now but for a while the meta had basically turned into uh it doesn't matter what deck your opponent brings unless it's the you know unless it's the the rock to your scissors what your opponent does doesn't really matter because your deck is just designed to play the same way regardless mm-hmm. and i know wizards of the coast didn't like that and has has tried to make changes but it's been a tough thing to do and I think to an extent we were starting to see 40k the the 40k competitive meta function that way Um, especially with the pre nerf iron hands and that sort of thing um, where it just turned into it doesn't really matter what you do it's not an interaction thing at this point it's a do the dice agree with what I'm trying to do if so I win if not well who gets there first
0: well there was a Maybe not everybody shared this this thought, but at the beginning of Eighth, when they when they announced that stratagems were going to be a thing and that some of the uh, factions' various like characterful abilities were moving off of data sheets into the stratagems because they wanted there to be like a finite resource so that you had to make choices about when does your faction do its cool thing. I thought that was a really really good thing for the for. The, not only the narrative immersion, but also just for the the tactical balance of the game. Because yeah. then if you had armies that were these, like, you know, Death Watch Custodes, you had these armies that were supposed to be these super elite things. It Having a finite resource govern that yeah. kept their cooler abilities in check. But then um, the competitive meta figured out how to milk every command point, you know, the most efficient way possible mm-hmm. to almost undo that change and return it to each faction is doing its coolest thing every turn yeah and then while it's doing that it is also having a i don't even know that it was a vocal minority but there was a vocal uh, a vocal cohort um which i think was probably a majority Mm -hmm. complaining about how feel bad z's crazy alpha strikes feel yep and so you're like okay well um so the community has found a workaround to undo one of the major points of stratagems and command points in the first place and then frustrated by the consequences of those actions um and then now that games workshop is kind of dialing it back and going you know what not only did it not work the way we intended Mm -hmm. um but we also understand that you're accustomed to this way. So here is a compromise. I mean, Stu himself said that what they did for the, the chart for command points, which they have posted, by the way, mm-hmm. um, the chart for command points was we looked at the average command points that most competitive lists were generating and then rounded it up a little bit. And that was what they went by. I mean, yeah. they, they basically went, okay, double battalion was the thing. And occasionally you'd see a brigade, but generally it was double battalion, yeah. which would be 10, you know, I'm not counting the three battle forge cause mm-hmm. we'll get to those command points in a second. But so then what did they do for a 2000 point game? 12. So they, they looked at either, you know, most competitive lists had a brigade or a double battalion. So they gave you the brigade command points, which was the higher of the two.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, yes, you lost the three command points for your army being Battleforged, but there is a rule in the game that's being added to the core rules that if your army is Battleforged, you gain one command point per command phase. Yep, And that's not mission specific. That's not, that is a core game rule. So right. unless something bespoke turns it off, over the course of a four to six turn game, Battleforged is now paying you four to six command points instead of three. Mm-hmm. So... So the average 2000 point army is actually coming out two to three command points ahead. Yep. Um, but because you don't have access to them all on turn one, as I referred to earlier, there is discomfort. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. And, uh, and I think them switching that the, the battle forged bonus to a constant income, mm-hmm. I think also reflects that they're like, Hey, you know, we you know some armies it's in their fluff or it's in their 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 tactical doctrine to kind of try to lash out for an alpha strike, but the games are supposed to last four to six turns. Right. They're not supposed to last two. Right. And the way the way the command point economy and the balance of the stratagems worked in a large portion of competitive eighth is by the end of turn two the game was decided. Yeah. And turn three and four was just the underdogs hail Mary attempt to even the playing field to scratch out a draw or to maybe, maybe sucker punch their enemy and come out a point or two ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, But with very rare exception, I mean, I I know that uh, um, I think Jim Vessel did it a few times, but I know that, um, uh, wow, I am, I'm blanking on the gentleman's name, our, our iron hands champion. Why can I not remember his name? The uh, the gentleman who just won LVO uh, mm-hmm. with his with the Bro Hammer Iron Hands army, yeah. And I apologize to everyone for just totally mind blanking on his name. Um, the uh, you know his his list could kind of like play the slow game yeah. and and just steadily steadily gain victory points um, across the board, but the uh, um, generally speaking in most games you knew who won by the end of turn two. Yeah. Um, Because everybody, uh, everybody just swung for the fence on turn one. And that, and that was all she wrote. You just look at the, look at the, the kind of tide of battle at that point. You're like, okay, you know, the rest of the game is just going through the motions. Yeah. Yeah,
1: It's all Um, over, but the crying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and to have a good, like to have a sizable number of your command points, um, trickle in over Mm -hmm. the course of the game instead of uh instead of just all front loaded at the very beginning of the game i think that that's i think it's a good thing
1: yeah i think the change we're seeing is a good indicator that games workshop is i don't know if pointing out is the right phrase but is is making it clear maybe that um Mm -hmm. stratagems were intended to be a uh a What's that?
0: Sorry, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> no, you're okay. Richard Siegler. Oh yeah, yep, yep. I apologize for interrupting. No, that's okay. Uh um, yeah, I get that. Uh, I, so I, I think what we're seeing too is that Games Workshop kind of is acknowledging that, or making it clear that stratagems are meant to be flavorful, um, you know, special things that happen or are supposed to represent. Um, you know, resource investment that is made by the general, in this case, the person playing the army, uh, and that in in Eighth Edition, as the game went on, it turned more and more into just who could generate the most special stuff to do. And they, yeah. I think, I think the intent was that they wouldn't have they wouldn't have a huge effect on the game overall. That they would have a you know they might affect one unit significantly at, at a time you know they but they wouldn't be games wouldn't be won and lost purely based on planning to use stratagems regardless of what you know what your opponent brought or, or that you know or what was going on on the board at the time but i think even without that it it's pretty clear that you know the effect of stratagems was um it was probably a little too heavy or, or because of how easy it was to get command points, you didn't have to be as careful with spending them. Uh, and so using stratagems became... Lists were built around stratagems instead of <clears throat> built around units, and the stratagems were a bonus. And I, I think that was really evident in the fact that two of the often considered most, most powerful and most expensive and or restricted stratagems in the game were Agents of Vect and A plan Generation of so in the Making, mm-hmm. which were the stratagems that let you stop stratagems from working. And if the ability to stop a stratagem is worth twice as much as that stratagem on average is going to cost, if not four times as much as that stratagem is going to cost, I think that's a pretty good indicator that stratagems might have played a bigger role than they were really intended to yeah um, so i would I, agree with that. I think seeing this command point change and probably, i would not at all be surprised if we saw uh fewer stratagems in individual codexes since there's going to be more core stratagems mm-hmm. and if they were uh if they were less um i don't wanna say less impactful but maybe maybe less drastic. Um, uh, so, you know, I could see something like, a you know, one command point for your salamanders, you select a unit to shoot with flamers, you reroll wound rolls with the flamers or something like that. But, you know, I, I would almost be surprised to see something, something that fits with a couple of stratagems we see in the game right now, where it's basically shoot your thing. All your sixes are mortal wounds. For one maybe two command points, I just i I think we'll see less of that sort of thing as as ninth progresses that may be that may be definitely the case maybe maybe definitely yeah
0: mm-hmm. that's likely the case that there's a word for that um the uh I think too, um some one of the differences that we see between like competitive aggressive play mm-hmm. and like really solid good tactical play. Mm-hmm is all of the the nuance and the mastery of the, you know the movement phase and deployment and things like things that have nothing to do with stratagems but right. stratagems are kind of in a way like an easy button like you were talking about yeah. and so you'll get some players that are you know really you know really trying to up their competitive game or maybe they're trying to play aggressively because winning is fun mm-hmm. and the they just kind of formulate a checklist of I do this, then I use the stratagem, then I do this, then I use this stratagem. And instead of the their list being a synergistic tactical tool belt, it is a it's almost like a fighting games list of like uh commands for special moves. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, yeah, you know, here is my this is this unit. And if I use this stratagem, then this stratagem, then this stratagem while they stand next to this character, I get to, you know, shoot a fireball or I get to yeah, do a backflip yeah. or or whatever. And um as opposed to, you know, this unit can have an edge once or twice a game at the thing that it naturally does mm-hmm. well. Um, and so I think sometimes, and I, I don't wanna, you know, don't wanna try to paint things with too broad of a brush, no. but I think quite often instead of looking at the the game holistically as I need to deploy well, move well, um, you know, use my abilities at the correct time,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then know, you know, <laughs> to to borrow wisdom from from the the ancient great and late Kenny Rogers, but to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, <laughs> know when to walk away, and know when to run. Yep. Um, you know, the th- instead of having to master all of those things, it just becomes. These are my six good stratagems. Yep. This is, I have built an economy around being able to use them for two turns in a row. Yep. And I look at this elite choice and in my head I go, this elite choice, deep strikes, moves directly towards their cool thing, and then does this combo and, you know, hundred hand slaps it into into oblivion. Yep and then after that i don't care if the unit dies because that that's what its one shot missile was for as opposed to actually mastering like when do you drop it where do you move it mm-hmm. give it a slight edge for a command point it does its job now it fires and fades and you know mm-hmm. or it repositions tactically the the prevalence of the like you know judo chop of so many of the stratagems has yeah. has reduced some and i'm not saying the top tier players i'm not i am not at all throwing you know some of the some of the greats under the bus in this category but like people who approach the game from that competitive standpoint Mm -hmm. quite often are just throwing those haymakers yeah and not actually you know floating like a butterfly sting like a bee you know and and i think that's that's the separation that's the dis the difference why you get a tournament of 800 people and, you know, the same 12 of them are in the top eight tables year after year. Consistently, yep. You know, um, is because 8th edition kind of created, you know, you have your bruisers and then you have your actual martial artists, you right. know. Right. Um, and uh, I'd like to see the game ease back the throttle on that a little bit <laughs> so that it forces it forces the 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 fish that are just... Swimming in that aquarium of throw giant punches and I win and you know it, it forces them to learn to to, to actually dance yeah. you know, yeah. um, so many mints. a
1: whole lot metaphors. of metaphors. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, but uh, but I I think that's that's what it comes down to for me yeah. is that it it is just uh,
1: um, it's almost too much of an easy mode. Yeah. Um, I, I, the the thing that. I've noticed as eighth edition goes on and I know we've talked about this before and I've seen it locally. I've seen it, um, online, both, you know, both in terms of lists, uh, you know, list reviews from tournaments and also just from lists that I see get posted in, in the various communities I'm a part of. Uh, there is a, a strong attitude that has advanced over the course of eighth edition, where if you if you can't treat your list like a checklist as opposed to an army list it's probably not good enough and yeah. personally i think that is a a very unpleasant way to to play the game uh, and i think that is uh, not the intention of the designers and i think they're making that pretty clear with the way that they're changing even just what we've seen so far seems to be trying to get away from that that style of you know of list building where you're you're just ticking off the boxes and saying as long as i can check them all you know it doesn't it doesn't matter what else happens because i've i've checked my boxes and so that's if i don't win at that point it's either because the the opponent checked their boxes faster or they decided that i wasn't going to win you know mm-hmm. it it just kind of like you said, it it adds this this sort of I guess easy mode, yeah, where where you're basically saying, you know, I I put in two quarters and out pops a dead unit. Yep. You know, and I don't think that's what stratagems were meant to feel like. Um and and I think if you if you look back critically over the course of eighth edition at how the erratas happened and how faqs happened and how things were released I, I think you see that that's probably not what the intention was um, yeah but the community um as as any gaming community will especially in a, in a competitive you know competitive setting they found the advantages and they each them out to the fullest extent and Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's not to say necessarily that that's a bad thing um you know it's it's not to pass judgment on people for doing that because if you're you know if you want to win you find the best way to win and the most consistent way to win and you, you win as best you can um but i don't know that it's healthy for the game and i'm glad to see that games workshop has said no we don't this isn't how we want the game to be played. This isn't how we intend it to be played. Mm-hmm. We're going to take an active role in designing it away from that kind of play.
0: Well, and two with them, with them saying that they're specifically going after the feel bad moments. Yeah. Um, the, the way, the way some of the stratagems were, were realized in uh-huh. practice created not only feel bad moment, moments for the victim but sometimes the stratagems were so good, but mm-hmm. still relied on random number generation, mm-hmm. that it also created feel bad moments where, you know, you spend your three CP and then you get a poor die roll, yep. and you're like, "Well, this is dumb. I paid. I paid my money. I want my ticket." Yep. You know, and so then it also created feel bad moments for the attacker, yeah. who was, you know, the, uh, you know, I'm imagining the the scene from. Army of Darkness, way back when, of like I said your words, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, uh, you know I paid my CP. Yep. Now you're home, <laughs> you are know? yep. yep.
1: Um,
0: but you know it, it's you know it's a, a three CP stratagem because it's really powerful, but it still is a, a roll a d six, and on this this happens, and then yep. you, variably that is when you roll a one, mm-hmm. and then you're in that position of well do I throw good money after bad because I could command point reroll that hmm. one. But now that that stratagem cost me four instead of three, and, right? You know, and right. and I think that overall, it, it I'm hoping that these changes do kind of reduce those feel bad moments. You know, you're not yeah. you're not dumping a finite resource into a shaky you know proposition and and your opponent also isn't constantly flinching because like oh you picked up some of your command points what What's what thing happen? is gonna screw me out of a half an hour of fun now
1: Yep. you know <laughs> yep. Um, so it, yeah there, there was almost a monopoly feel to it uh yeah in, in some games where it was like oh great i did my thing and i landed on park place and guess who owns park place not me cool yep and oh look i'm out <laughs> yeah great i'm gonna go play a video game like it, it's just it's one of those things where you, you don't you don't want a war game like like Warhammer to feel like monopoly exactly because monopoly is the sort of game that you don't play with people that you want to stay friends with <laughs> <laughs> like it's just you know you just you want the game to feel like you're interacting and that you have a chance, and that you you, you have you have fun regardless of whether you're winning or losing because winning or losings the you know the outcome but why spend four hours or three hours playing a game to not have fun for two of those three hours? oh yeah, you know it' just
0: everyone's had that experience yeah. where they they show up to a game and within 15
1: minutes of the game starting,
0: they're like, okay, this is going to be one of those games where why did I show up? Yep. You know, you're just like, Oh, I just signed up for three hours of getting kicked in the teeth. Yep.
1: (laughs) And sometimes it happens because of dice and there's nothing you can do about that. But the, the thing that I'm, I'm happy to hear that they seem to be actively designing away from is Mm -hmm. the, it doesn't matter what your dice do. You showed up for this game and your opponent, was already planning on kicking you in the teeth the entire time, regardless of what you did. You know, yep. it just n- nobody, nobody wants the, uh, nobody wants to go up against the dentist immediately. Ooh. Yeah. It's like like a new, a new wargaming pejorative. There. I, I, I'm going to make it a thing. That's, that's yeah, my, we're going to, we're going to make it a thing. We're going
0: to make it a thing. Yep, okay. Well, um,
1: <laughs> as you all can see, we have
0: tons of thoughts and we could talk forever about some of this stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, this was kind of our reactions to uh, all the news that we got this week. There were a couple things that we didn't touch on. you know, yeah. we didn't touch on crusade. um we didn't didn't fully go into in our stratagem conversation, we didn't talk about cut them down, um, yeah. which is uh, one of the new ways to uh, deal with um, the frustration of putting all the work into finally getting into close combat, and then the enemy just walks away. So, I'm happy that they addressed that mm-hmm. um, in a way that that seems, relatively balanced but we can save that for a
1: conversation for another time yes Um, thank you all for
0: uh for sticking with us and
1: and listening to this um thanks everybody you were gonna say i'm just gonna say we've got another week of of previews coming up here so it'll be interesting to see what uh what comes from the end of that yeah, and uh, like always, we will be here to give you our thoughts. And
0: uh, we invite you if, if you feel like there's anything that that we should have talked about that we didn't, or if you have any thoughts on the comments that we made, feel free to join us on Discord. Um, mm-hmm. We've had some lively discussions in there uh, this week about sisters' battle lists and what's worth building and and whatnot after uh, after our our episode talking about the tactics of that. Uh-huh. So you know, join us. You know, jump into the choosers of the slain Discord and uh, let us know what you think of what we talk about, and maybe we can uh, maybe we can steer things in the direction of what you're looking for. But we won't know unless you tell us. Yep, exactly. So y'all have an excellent week watching all your your uh, 40k dailies on Twitch or checking out the articles on Warhammer Community. And uh, as always, I'm Lucas. I'm Nate. And we will be back on Choosers the Sling when we have more to say. Bye, everybody.